Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. So if you have a Bible today, would you open up to Titus chapter 1? Titus chapter 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to be closing out chapter 1 by looking at verses 10 through 16 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible today, well, you can make your iPhone or your Android device more holy by downloading the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, there you'll get a reading plan so you can be constantly in God's Word. Uh, but also on Sundays, uh, we don't have a bulletin here. So uh, this, we have kind of more of an e-bulletin and this is where it is. So if you go to the YouVersion Bible app, you go to the more tab, then you find the events tab. You'll see Awaken Church Live. Click on that. You'll be able to take notes. Follow along with the outline there as well. But uh, this week, as I was studying, I came across a news story that happened back in 2001. So a really long time ago, um, back in 2001, in a town in Kentucky, uh, just about three hours uh, northeast of here, um, uh, happened at a Dairy Queen. And this guy pulled up, and he ordered his little tasty treat uh, at Dairy Queen. And they said it was $2, so he pulls up to the window, and he gave the cashier a 200 dollar bill. Well, the cashier thought nothing of it and gave the man his tasty tree and $198 in change. And the man drove off very happy and excited about himself. Well, later that day, the manager is doing what managers do. They're sitting in the back. They're making sure the, the registers even out and balance out and doing all that. And they notice something odd about this $200 bill. Maybe not the fact that there is no such thing as a $200 bill. Like maybe that should have been the first cue, but Uh, That didn't bother them. But what gave it away was the fact that there was what then president George W. Bush on the front of this $200 bill. And then when you turn it around on the backside, there was the White House and it had an oil rig right in the front and had all these protest signs in front of it, like give the U.S. citizens a tax break. And we love broccoli, which was really a dig at his dad because his dad didn't like broccoli at all. And so there was all these things on the $200 bill that the person was like, this is a fake. This isn't real. All those things gave it away. Now this week, as I was reading that story, I was like, kind of losing some faith in humanity, I guess. Uh, maybe for you, it's the same thing. Uh, but you know, it's worth of, of laughing or kind of getting a little chuckle out of because we read it. But here's the reality. Real U.S. currency has a number of features on it to set it apart, to make it stand out from counterfeit bills. This week I read that our, our, our currency has a number of features on it to distinguish it from fake ones. For example, it's got color-shifting ink, a security thread on it, a watermark. It's got micro-printing in it. All of these things distinguish real bills from fake ones. And you want to make sure your bill has those features on it. Because if you have a $20 bill, a $50 bill, a $100 bill, you want to make sure it's actually worth $20, $50, $100. You don't want to have a counterfeit that's worth zero. But counterfeits work so well because they mimic the real thing. They can distort the true value. Think about this for just a minute. Imagine if a wave of counterfeit bills just flooded our country. It would create mass confusion. Counterfeits would spread rapidly. Like you and I might start printing our own money because we want to get some stuff, right? At the same time, it would threaten the real currency. Now, I share all of that with you to say this, because in many ways, this is true when we talk about counterfeits within the church. What if the greatest threat to the salvation of people didn't actually come from outside the church, but from within the church? 
What if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and the greatest threat to your spiritual health are not all the things out there that are anti-gospel, things that are against Jesus, but are counterfeit gospels pretending to bring you life when in reality, they'll never deliver. Really, that's what Paul is talking about in the verses that we're going to read here in just a minute. He's trying to help Titus figure out how to distinguish between the real thing, the real gospel, and fake and counterfeit gospels. In fact, the title of today's message is Dealing with Counterfeits. And if you remember, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, or maybe this is your first week here, uh, we see that Paul sets the tone of the letter in the first four verses there. He kind of just sets the tone, lays it out, what he's going to be talking about. And then um, verses five through nine, he gives qualifications of elders, people who need to lead. And he's saying, hey, this is how they should lead. This is the standard. They should set the pace, set the tone for the people. And he says all of that, because here's what he's getting at in verse 10. He says, for there are many. Now that doesn't say there are a few. There's a couple bad eggs there, or there's maybe one or two problems. He says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of, Cretans, uh, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defile and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. If you've ever been cheated by a counterfeit or you've ever received something that you thought was real but it was actually fake, then you understand what Paul is saying here when he writes this section of verses. And it raises some questions for us, like how do we detect counterfeits? How do I know if I'm believing a counterfeit? In fact, I love what Charles Spurgeon, he's a pastor from a long, long time ago, and he says this about discernment because that's really what we're trying to get at today. How do we discern the real from the fake? And I love what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, discernment is not only knowing the difference between right and wrong, it's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Things that have a little bit of truth in them so that it resonates, but it's mixed with a lie. See, what Paul here is doing in his words is he is equipping us to detect counterfeits and showing us how we need to respond to those counterfeits. And so really, the way I see this passage here today is it's broken up in three ways. We're going to see today that counterfeits are everywhere, counterfeits are dangerous, and counterfeits are exposed by the truth. So let's start with the first one today. Counterfeits are everywhere. Paul is writing to Titus and saying that there are a variety of counterfeit gospels, and really Paul's warning is still true for us even today. And this is what I love about the Bible. This is what's so cool about the Bible. The Bible is alive and is active and will speak to us thousands of years later. 
Isn't it so cool that by God's grace, he inspired Paul to write these words to a man on an island in Crete to tell him, hey, these are the false gospels going on here. This is what you need to be aware of. And thousands of years later, here we are in Clarksville, Tennessee in 2023, and it's still relevant today. There are still false gospels in our day today, in our culture. The names might have changed. The times might have changed. We might look and talk a little bit different, but false gospels are still in our culture. And so Paul lists out the three different gospels, counterfeit gospels, and he critiques them all. And so we're going to unpack these, look at what these look like and what they are. And the first one is the counterfeit gospel of rule keeping. Again, verse 10, he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Here's what Paul is getting at. There are people who would justify themselves by their own moral effort. And he calls out the group of people who are doing this. He says, this is the circumcision group. And these were people within the Jewish community. They're called the Judaizers. And they said, in order to be saved, you have to keep all the rules of the law. They said, yeah, 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 there's Jesus, but there's more to salvation than just Jesus. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to know that you are saved, he's like, you got to keep the law. Keep the law and you'll be saved. Jesus plus the law equals salvation. It's a counterfeit gospel of rule keeping. And this false gospel can be appealing to many of us because we love our lists. We love our lists because lists are manageable. Some of you are list people. You got a list for everything. I got a list of what I got to do this weekend. I got a list of what I got to do at school this week, at my job this week. I got a list of a, a honeydew list of all the things that need to, that my spouse needs to get done around the house and it's ever growing and really long, right? Like some of you right now, you got your Bible open, you got your notes, you're taking notes. But then on the side, you got this thing of, oh, well, I got to get this done and I got to get that done. Like you got a list of things going on. You are list people. We have, we love lists, And you have this sense of self-congratulation when you have fulfilled any part of your list. You look at it and you go, I'm accomplished. I've done this. And everyone in your household goes, oh, we praise you, oh, list keeper, because you have one list to rule them all, right? (laughs) We love our list. Even this week, I I was looking at my glass board in, in my office and I got a list. I got a list of, okay, I'm breaking this passage apart. I got to study this one. I got to outline it here. Like I got it. What I love is I like to put little checks by every single one. And I thought this week, I was like, maybe I should erase it. And I thought, no, I want to feel accomplished. I want to feel like I'm getting somewhere. So I left it up there with all the little check marks of all the things I get done. There's a sense of self-congratulation when we fulfilled our list. There's accomplishment in that. And so the gospel of rule keeping appeals to the nature that thinks, give me a list. Show me what I must do, what good deeds I must do to be saved, and I will do it, and I will crush it. And because I will do it, and I will crush it, I will ensure my salvation. It's attractive, because it's checking all the boxes. It's managing our progress. We feel like we can have control over our salvation. But here's the thing. When you look at the law of God, you realize quickly you'll never measure up. You might think, well, then what's the point of the law? The point of the law wasn't to tell us about salvation. It was to tell us about our sin. The law could never change our sinful nature. And this could be challenging for us 
Because we like to believe, well, I can make up for all the bad things in my life by doing some good things. So if I've committed these sins over here, well, I'll just swing over here and I'll do some really good things and I'll make up for those bad things. I'll do these righteous acts. And if I do those righteous acts, then I will be saved. And maybe you're here today and you're here and you're trying to obey a bunch of rules. You're trying to obey the law because you think, well, if I try to obey the law or if I try to do these things, if I try to pray, if I try to, hey, God, guess what? I showed up early to church today. If I give a little bit of my time, if I give a little bit of my money, if I do these things, God, then you will let me into heaven because the good in my life will outweigh the bad. I'll be 51% good and 49% bad. And God will be pleased with me and I'll make it into heaven. But listen, 1% sin disqualifies you from the perfect place of heaven. No amount of obedience, no amount of righteousness could ever make up for the bad. You cannot earn your way into heaven. The law was never meant to be obeyed. Following rules can do nothing for you. Doing enough good things cannot fix you. It's a counterfeit gospel of rule keeping. Now, some of you, you might be here today and you might be like, I hate rules. (laughs) You know, rules are meant to be broken. Well, there's a counterfeit gospel for you in that. That's our second one, the counterfeit gospel of rule breaking. Paul addresses it with Cretan culture. And he says these very kind words in verse 12. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So we see Paul's got some really nice things to say about these people on this island. And we could be like, wow, Paul, you just went there. Like, you, you're not holding back at all. But again, right before he says all that in verse 12, he is quoting a well-known, highly esteemed Cretan philosopher. And so when he says these harsh words, he's like, listen, I'm not saying these things. One of your own is saying these things. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. Paul is making a statement about Cretan culture, and he's describing how people lived. Again, these were people, they worshiped Zeus. These were people, they bought into a lot of lies. They were known, again, Paul even said, they're known for lying. Uh, There are people who bought into a lot of different myths as well. And so these people, they're like, we don't need your rules. We're going to break your rules. We don't need the rules or the law of your God. We're just going to go against them. Even in our culture today, we're told that our natural appetites, attractions, and desires, those are the only authorities that matter in our lives. It doesn't matter what the Bible tells you. It doesn't matter what the rules tell you. Rid yourself of tyrannical oppression. Those things will kill you. And we're told, just follow our own desires. We're told, whatever you want, just go for it. You really want to be free? Fulfill your desires. But it's a counterfeit gospel. Because what you might naturally desire, whatever talents, affections, appetites you have, they all have been shaped by all kinds of things throughout the course of your life. I mean, take me, for example. Where I was raised. The specific culture that I lived in. The people who were around me. All of those things have impacted my natural desire. And the same is true for you where you lived, where you were raised. All of those things have impacted you. Add to that the fact that it's a moving target because my desires have changed throughout my life. At some point, I wanted this, but then I changed. I want that, and now I want this. And and the same is true for all of us. We all have competing desires all the way down to the bottom of our hearts. I want security. No, I want freedom. I want to be married. No, I want to have multiple lovers. 
I want this. No, I want that over there. We have competing desires. I thought about this silly example the other day. I was on Wilma Rudolph on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, something I don't recommend, all right? (laughs) Do yourself a favor, all right? Stay off. But I was there on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, uh, I was driving. And and again, I want to be a good, upright, just citizen. But then someone cuts me off, and I go, I want to destroy them, you know? (laughs) So which one's me, though? Just follow your heart, Nate. Okay, I'm going to destroy them. That's what (laughs) I want to do. I'm following my desires, my heart there. See, here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, we're full of contradicting and competing desires. On which moral high ground do I stand and look down and say, these desires should be celebrated and these desires should be excommunicated? So it's the idea. It's the counterfeit gospel of breaking the rules. But then Paul mentions a third one here, and it's the counterfeit gospel of rule-making. Counterfeit gospel of rulemaking. Look again at verse 14. He says, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people, or your translation might say human rule, who turn away from the truth. Pause right there just for a second. Here's what Paul is doing here. There's some people, the Judaizers. This week I was reading the commentators. like It could be the Judaizers, could be other people. They're they're saying, you got to keep the law, but you've also got to do these other things. They're adding their man-made religion, adding their man-made stuff into it as well. That's why in verse 15, Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defile and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. This is kind of the example. What Paul is getting at, what I read this week, was that it's this issue of food. That these people were saying, no, 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 you can't eat those things. No, 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 you can't work here. You can't do that stuff. And if you do those things, you're not a Christian. You're not believing. You've got to uphold these things. You've got to uphold these truths. Keep these rules if you're really a follower, a Christian. And so that's kind of what Paul is getting at here, is that there's these people who are adding on to all these things. There's a mix happening in this culture. Certain rules were taught as though they were necessary for purity and true for complete living. They thought, well, if I follow this new list of rules, if I follow these new rituals and follow it, then I can self-purify. I just won't eat those things. I'll stay away. I could be pure then. Which again, has so many um, uh, points in our culture today. There are so many popular authors or Instagram influencers who are proposing their new list of rules to follow. And if we follow those lists or we uh, apply those rituals, then we can be pure. And so people spend millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to rid themselves of the toxins, whether it's toxic people, toxic things. They're trying to purify themselves, both body, mind, and spirit, because they think if I do these things, then I can truly be free. Paul's point here is not, is not that, Paul's point here is that if this is what we are believing, if we are believing, hey, I can self-purify, I can do these things, and we have a wrong view of purity. See, there's many people in that culture, like there's many people in our culture that believe if I just go through the motions, perform these rituals, do these man-made things, then I can make myself pure. But that assumes that we are naturally pure to begin with. And that we just have some bad things or have these toxic elements in our life. But contrast that to what Jesus taught. When Jesus said, what defiles a person doesn't come from the outside. What defiles a person comes from the inside. 
There's no countercultural, there's not a more countercultural message than that. So transformation must include a new heart. Transformation must include a new nature. Because if we're not pure at the very core of who we are, then no amount of ritual, no human rules will ever make a difference. Now, these rituals and rules can produce an appearance before men like, man, they are holy. They're righteous. They've got it going on. But it's never an acceptance before God because it's a counterfeit. Listen, all these counterfeits are still in our culture today. Names may have changed. Times may have changed. But they're all still present in our time right now. And whenever they're presented as the solution to the problems, to our salvation, it's a counterfeit gospel. Here's the second warning Paul gives us, and it's that counterfeit gospels are dangerous. Counterfeit gospels are dangerous. Now, why are they dangerous? Because counterfeits claim to set you free when in reality they enslave you. They have to be confronted to the danger of others and to the danger to your own soul. And the group of people that Paul is addressing here aren't some people who just kind of accidentally made some mistakes or kind of went off the tracks a little bit. These are people who are deliberately and actively turning away from the truth. And so Paul gives us two reasons why we must confront these counterfeits. And the first one is that counterfeits disrupt community. Again, verse 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. See, whenever we become our own self-salvation project, or we believe in a counterfeit gospel that we must preach to others, and it promotes salvation that you can uh, earn your salvation, or you need to keep the salvation through rule-keeping or rule-breaking, you kind of set this standard where you set your own rules and you bind everyone to those rules, or you break them and you don't like the people who don't follow them, here's what begins to happen. You create all these divided groups and it disrupts whole households. See, when it comes to counterfeit gospels in our relationships, they not only fail to build people up, they actually break people apart. I'm sure you could look back in your life, people in your church, your relationships, maybe even in your family, who bought into a counterfeit gospel said some things, and it didn't build people up. It just divided everybody. Think about even here at the church. There's been times people have bought into a counterfeit gospel, that there's all these other things to do to be saved, and we have conversations, and we talk to them, and they're not responsive. They don't care about it. And it doesn't ever lead to righteousness. It leads to division and disruption because it's an idol. They've put it above Jesus. But Paul also says counterfeits destroy character. Verse 16, it says, they profess to know God, but they deny him through their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It's so appealing to believe in a counterfeit because it has this appearance of doing the right things. Because on the outside, man, we've got every box checked. But doing this, but, but by doing this does not make you a Christian. Just like if you were to walk to the Apple store later today and walk in, that doesn't make you Tim Cook. If you're just doing all these things, you're singing all these songs, giving a little money, giving your time, and you're not believing in Jesus, if you have not been born again, have a new heart, been cleansed from all of your sins, you are believing a counterfeit, a false gospel. And Paul's words are, are harsh, but they are so important. 
because the stakes are so high. There are some who claim to know God, but if it's any other way than by Jesus, it's a counterfeit. And we've become what Paul says here at the end of verse 16, detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. If we're following these false gospels, Paul says that you're actually living up to the reputation of Crete, which is all about lying. Paul is essentially saying, you are like the very people, Titus, that you are trying to reach, that you're trying to save. And that's the irony. They've become the exact opposite of what they're striving to be through their own rule-keeping, rule-breaking, or rule-making. Now we hear the words of Paul in verse 16. And again, I think a lot of us, we go, why such harsh words? Why is there even a need to confront all of this, Paul? Paul's motivation here is not to humiliate all these other people. It's not to make himself feel better. It's to rescue people from straying from the truth. But we don't like to be corrected, do we? It's not a pleasant experience. Now, there are some of you out there, you love to be corrected. That's a freakish thing. We'll pray for you, right? But on the most part, none of us, we don't like to be corrected. In fact, in our culture, anytime someone tries to correct someone else, what do we say? That's so unloving. You don't love me. Because we think love equals affirmation. And because there's correction, that means you hate me. But according to the Bible, correction, now listen, correction, when done in the right way and for the right reasons, it's not a contradiction of love. It's an expression of love. You want people to be saved from error and walking in the truth. Now, we've just talked about receiving correction, but some of us, we love to give correction. Like, you can't wait for it. You love it. You're, wait, you're like, ah, correction. I'm just going to post myself at the back door there and just kind of wait, and you're all, you know. And they come walking in and say, hey, fancy meeting you on a Sunday walking into the sanctuary. Hey, where are you sitting? Let me follow you. And you just start listing off all the things that need to be corrected in their life. And they're like, okay, they've received it all. And they're like, anything else? Nope, I about covered it. I'm good to go. And you walk away and you feel good about yourself. But that's not what Paul's doing here. That's not what we should be about. It's not about him. It's not about you. It's about the person being restored. See, in the Bible, correction is never the goal. Restoration is the goal. Correction is a necessary means to restoration. And so for Paul, it takes correction and compassion, and we need both. And you might be thinking, in light of everything that we've just said, how can this be done in my own life? How can I make sure that I'm not believing a counterfeit gospel or that others are believing a counterfeit gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because that's our third point. And that's that counterfeits are exposed by the truth. Counterfeits are exposed by the truth. Paul says it plainly. In the same way, none of us would want to be duped by receiving a $200 bill. Paul's like, you have to be familiar with the real thing. As I was studying that this week and reading that, it reminded me of one of my favorite TV shows on the History Channel. How many of you have ever seen the show Pawn Stars? Anybody ever seen that show? Yeah? Uh, if you haven't, it's about this guy, Rick, and he rips a bunch of people off in, in his pawn shop. Like, 
but it's, it's a pawn shop in Las Vegas, and um, he gets all kinds of rare items in it. People bring in the most rare. It's like it's not your ordinary one. Like he brings in these super rare items, like one of a kind war things, or cars, or toys, or like it's just some of the most rare things that you've ever seen. And and sometimes he doesn't know what the the item is, or if it's real or if it's fake. And they're asking a lot of money. So what does he do? Brings in the expert, and the expert comes in and tells him if it's real or fake and all that. But sometimes. I've watched the show, I've seen it. Sometimes uh, something walks in and he can spot it immediately. He knows whether it's real or whether it's fake. And they bring it up to the counter and if it's fake, he goes, well, man, I really hope that you didn't spend a lot of money on this, you know, because here's why it's fake. But sometimes it's real. And he'll go, let me tell you why this is real. And he'll walk through and he'll show him. It needs to have this if it's gonna be real or it needs to have that or you could tell a real one from a fake one by this. And you gotta realize, like, how does he know all of that? Because he's devoted his life to understanding that item, to knowing that item. He has spent time with the real thing, holding it, playing around with it, testing it out, doing whatever it is. Like he is used to the real thing. And so anytime a fake walks through, he can spot it immediately because he's so close to the real item. The way to detect a counterfeit is by being intimately familiar with the real thing. There are a lot of counterfeit gospels out there. And the way that we address them is by being familiar with the truth. And how do we do this? Paul gives us the answer in verse 9. He says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. How do you identify counterfeit gospel? With sound doctrine. And really, it's kind of the reverse point of verse 16. Verse 16, Paul says that they should know God, but they deny him. What's the reverse of that? That we need to know God. How do we know God? Through sound doctrine. We need to understand the the true gospel. And here's what this means. We need to see sin for what it really is. Every single one of us, we should know that there's actually several ways that we can be lost and rebel against God. One is by breaking all of God's laws and actually denying the fact that you ever need a savior. Another way to be lost is by trying to keep all the laws and being your own savior and never trusting the savior that God has provided for you. See, when it comes to sin, it's not enough to just confess your sinful actions. We need to confess our sinful condition. We need to confess that by nature and choice, we are sinners. And because of that, there's no amount of human ability that could ever free us or save us from our sin. The problem that we have, the sin problem that we have is found in our very nature. And so we not only do sinful things, we have a sinful nature, a sinful condition. Listen, if you're here today and you've come to church and you show up and you think, well, I'm just going to manage my sin and that you've got what it takes, that you just need a little pep talk, then guess what? You have believed, you have bought into a false counterfeit gospel. The real gospel is not only true, it's far better than these legalistic, moralistic, materialistic counterfeits that all lead to despair, disappointment, and eternal destruction. But when we see our sin for what it really is, then we are set up to see our Savior for who he really is. When you realize that you cannot save yourself and that the problem is not out there with all those people or that group of people or that culture, but the problem is actually with me and my heart and my nature, then hopefully you will turn and look and receive the truth about Jesus. 
Because the way to expose the counterfeit is by being intimately familiar with the truth. We need to do the opposite of verse 16. We need to know God. We need to know God through sound doctrine. The greatest defense against counterfeits is nearness to Jesus. To be near to him, to love him, to read his word, to invite the power of the Holy Spirit into your life. It's to be in community with other people, to be in relationship around God's word. It's to worship him. It's all about drawing near to Jesus. That's what's going to expose the counterfeits. Listen, my goal today was not to teach this message and then we just go out and we start sniffing out all the false gospels out there and exposing all of them. My goal today is for us to want to be so close to the truth, so close to Jesus, that anytime a counterfeit tries to come into our lives, come into this church, we can spot it immediately because we spent time with the Savior. We spent time with Jesus. We're intimately familiar with Jesus and we can spot these counterfeits and chase them out. So today, I don't want you leaving here today thinking, well, you know what? I got to try to be perfect. I got to do all these right things. Well, Nate, now I got to double my list. That's it. Like I got to do more. That's not the way you get right with God. The way that you are made right with God is through faith in God. Look away from yourself. Look away from what you can do, what you can't do, who you are. Look away from your list. Look away from yourself and look to Jesus. Because salvation doesn't come through your willpower. It comes through his power. This wasn't the only time, though, that Paul had to address people buying into a counterfeit or a false gospel. In fact, Paul wrote another letter called Galatians, and he wrote it to the church in Galatia. And they had bought into a false and counterfeit gospel. And I think it's really appropriate that we kind of close our time with what Paul's words were there. Because he asked this counterfeit, or this counterfeit, this uh, rhetorical question in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. He says this, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's like, did your life start to change because you obeyed all the rules and all the laws of the Old Testament? He's like, of course not. That's not what changed you. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed it, because you heard the message of Jesus. You didn't see transformation in your life because of your perfection, your moral code, because of your rule keeping, or the fact that you did all these right things. You saw transformation in your life because of Jesus, your belief in him. And so if you're here today and you've tried to do all the right things to make up for all the bad things, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, all I tried to do was make God happy by doing a bunch of good stuff. And maybe you're realizing through the power of the Holy Spirit right now, you're aiming at all those things and you realize today that every time you did them, you're not a different person. You realize you're never gonna be good enough. You're never gonna be holy enough. You're never gonna be free from sin enough. And maybe through the Holy Spirit, God is telling you right now, you are gonna hit this place where it's just not working. If that's you today, let Paul's words be words of love today saying, hey, turn around. You went the wrong way. You're approaching all of this through your own human effort. You're never gonna be good enough. And just like that Dairy Queen employee, you bought into a false counterfeit gospel. God wants you to come to the person of Jesus. 
We come to Jesus for life. We come to Jesus for a relationship. And when you engage in that true gospel, understanding what Romans 3.23 said, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you receive what Jesus did, that Jesus died on the cross for our sin in our place as our substitute, and he rose again on the third day because he's not just man, he is God. When it all comes back to the gospel, you have to understand that Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially perfect, and rose again because he is perfect. And because of that, he paid for your sins. Jesus paid for your sins, and you don't have to. And listen, if you've ever tasted and experienced that, that is the best news you'll ever hear your whole life. That should get you a little excited today because you've tasted and you've received his grace and his forgiveness. It's great news. Jesus paid for your sin when it should have been you. The world offers all these great deals and these great offers, but this is the best news you will ever hear. This is the best deal, the best offer you will ever receive in your entire life, that your sin has been paid for. Jesus took all that payment that was due to you upon himself on that cross, and he rose again so that you could have eternal life. And the way that you receive that is you believe in him. Believe in the truth of that sacrificial death and resurrection and say, God, just the way that you resurrected Jesus, would you resurrect me with eternal life? This is the true gospel. And if you haven't received Jesus into your life, if you've never experienced his forgiveness and his grace, then in a few minutes, what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer to receive him. I want you to taste and experience what I have and what others have in this room, the freedom, the forgiveness, the grace of Jesus. I'm desperate for you to want to experience that. Maybe you've never experienced it. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you've walked away from the Lord. I want you to experience it again. See, Christianity is not about learned behavior or if you do all the right things, check all the right boxes. It's not about behavior modification through discipline. It's about experiencing Jesus. It's a great deal. All you do is you give him your guilt, your shame, your sin. He takes all of that. You experience then his grace and his forgiveness. He gives you, he clothes you in righteousness. And you can experience God's free gift of grace through faith by admitting that you're a sinner, repenting of those sins, turning to Jesus, and making him king and Lord of your life. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.